0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Polar Times, the podcast that brings you science and stories from literally the coolest places on the planet. You are here with me today, Alexandra Zuer. My guest today is Tia Schneider. She is a photographer and a physicist, starting soon her PhD at the German Aerospace Center in Germany. She has an artistic and a scientific background, which makes her special and interesting. We talk a lot about how to use art and especially photography to communicate science and scientific content to a broader audience in this episode. I met Thea during a course in Svalbard a couple of years ago, and I was already there fascinated by her photos and her motivation to document fieldwork and scientific work with her photographic work. We talk a bit about her motivation for doing two degrees and how she ended up doing a PhD soon. During her master's, she joined the Mosaic Summer School. The students of the school were part of the Big Mosaic Campaign, where they travelled on the academic Fedorov, which is a Russian icebreaker, with Polarstern to the Arctic Ocean. Thea introduces us to the daily life on board, the Russian icebreaker, and the many diverse aspects of fieldwork, despite the exciting hours of watching polar bears from a safe distance. She's currently compiling an exhibition with her photos about the expedition, which will be held in summer this year. And she's also working on a book, which will hopefully come out this or next year. I also asked Thea about her motivation for doing outreach with photos, and she talks about the importance of showing her work from the polar regions to the public in order to highlight the changes happening in these regions. Towards the end of the podcast, Thea mentions another podcast about Arctic sounds, but she does not remember the name. After recording, we looked it up and she's talking about the Calera podcast by Chloe Russell. Chloe was already in our podcast interviewed by Jack in our episode 10. I can highly recommend to listen to that episode if you haven't done yet or just listen to it again. It's a really great episode. That's all from my side. Thanks for coming back to Polar Times and enjoy the episode with Thea. Welcome to the stage, my guest this week, Thea Schneider. Hi, Thea. Thank you for coming to Polar Times. How
1: are you? Hi, Alex. Thank you for inviting me. In this first part of the podcast, we call it
0: the icebreaker. We would like to get to know you a little bit more. So my first question is, who are you and how did you end up in the polar world?
1: So actually, that's a very long uh, story. (laughs) When I was going to school, I was always interested in science, but also in art. So I was loving math and um, art and photography. Deciding what to do after school was really difficult, but I decided for going into the art direction and I studied photography. I actually did my bachelor's degree in photography and um, I really loved it. But during my thesis, I began doing a lot of research um, because I was doing this project, which was kind of a science fiction project. So I was reading a lot about physics, biology, and the polar regions. And I got so excited about the science that I thought, why not also do science? Why can't I do both? And then I decided I can do both. (laughs) So I actually started doing uh, physics uh, after my photography degree and um, why physics. I really hated physics in school, to be honest. (laughs) But um, I wanted to get this, this basis of understanding. So I wanted to have very good mathematical foundation and also a good foundation of understanding the world. This is why I decided for physics. And it's actually quite different than the physics you have in school. So I also enjoyed it very much. But then for my master's, I wanted to get more into the topic why I wanted to do science in the first place, which was to understand the world better. So I thought climate science and also, of course, polar science, because the polar regions are so amazing. And I wanted to understand the processes there. So I went to Norway, to Tromsø, and also into the Arctic uh, on Svalbard to do some courses there. And I enjoyed it so much and I love being there so much that I decided to also do my master thesis on a polar research uh, topic, which is a very long topic, but it was an Arctic regional climate modeling. And I finished this last year. And now I'm actually going to start my uh, PhD in summer at the German Aerospace Center. And I'm really excited. That's super interesting. So how was your bachelor project related to
0: the polar regions? You said it was related to physics, biology, and the polar regions.
1: What (laughs) was the topic of that? You mean of my photography bachelor thesis? Yeah. It was actually an expedition diary, so a a fictional expedition diary. And because I was really uh, reading a lot about climate change, and I was getting into how will our world look in like 5,000 years how what what did humankind do with the climate change how did we survive and uh, then I started to read a lot also about topics like geoengineering for example and things like that and then I developed kind of this future scenario (laughs) where the world (laughs) would be uh, a ice earth again like covered in ice ice. (laughs) like the snowball earth we had once uh, yeah a long time ago (laughs) exactly so actually humankind kind of fucked up and uh, did too much geoengineering and then <laughs> got the earth back into a snowball earth and then these scientists that actually or i mean the story goes like this that humankind decides to go into space because earth will become uninhabitable and then they kind of lose their connection to earth and then a thousand years later they try to find out what happened to earth in the first place so they send a mission there <laughs> well yes so to get back to the project, it was actually just like an expedition diary of this expedition of colonists that just came back to Earth and tried to find out what happened to our planet. That's
0: <laughs> super interesting. And I would say it's not so science fiction as it sounds in the beginning. It could well be that we are ending up in that situation at some point.
1: Well, I hope certainly not. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I did a lot of uh, photography, for example, in the Alpine region or on Svalbard. And um, I mean, this made me realize what a beautiful and unique planet we have and made me see all these, well, places that we are about to lose. So I really wanted to focus on that. And yeah, and I just wanted to know more about it. So here I am.
0: (laughs) Can people see your pictures and your photos? Is there... I don't know, some online uh, blog or something where we can actually also take part in your expeditions and in your photography.
1: <laughs> yes, of course. I have a website, which is just my name, <laughs> And I also have an Instagram account um, and a blog. But uh, I am very passionate. I'm actually very passionate about books and exhibitions. So I'm I'm not the most active uh, social media person which you will soon realize but I will always notify uh, when I have a new book or an expedition going on exhibition going on
0: ah, that's nice I will for sure put the, all the information in the show notes that people can uh, find you and that we can all have a look at your nice photos <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> How was your first field experience and how did that change your career or your desire to go to polar regions and to the climate science?
1: I would say my first experience with the polar regions actually was Svalbard. So I went there for a little bit longer than a week to take uh, photos for the science fiction project I was talking about. And I was incredibly excited and we did all these hikes and, and scooter trips through Svalbard. But one thing really, really influenced me besides the beauty and, and, um, I mean, the place is just, really, it's awesome. It's amazing. I, I can't even yeah. put it in words. I mean, <laughs> that's why pictures, you know, but I met this woman. She was our guide and. I mean, I was still doing photography and I was struggling with the decision if I should study physics or not because I was thinking it's it's not the traditional way. And I thought, oh, I will be so old when I finish with my studies. And she was so inspiring because she, I had all these con- conversations with her and she was really encouraging me to just go for it because she as well had not the most direct path into polar science. So uh, she really convinced me that it doesn't matter if your like path is conventional or not. The, the important thing is that you're interested and that you're motivated and that it's really the thing that you want to do. And that really influenced me a lot. And yes, <laughs> so <laughs> I guess not so much the place, but the people there were the large influence, I would say.
0: I also have the feeling that people in polar regions are just more curious and fascinated by their landscape. I mean, if you live in those harsh environments, you have to love those regions, otherwise you wouldn't live there. Yeah.
1: Totally I agree. And and also I think there's this saying that you kind of like it's like catching a fever. You're just you you just fall in love with the polar regions and then you you just want to come back and you just that it's not even a question. Everyone wants to come back.
0: <laughs> yeah. You and also mentioned was... that you uh, took a course in Svabat at the university there. And I think yes. uh, most of the students just uh, come back at some point.
1: Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's it's part of the reason why I came back. Because I wanted to go back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so your scientific background is quite broad from art to, mm-hmm. to science. And I know that you went to the Mosaics um, School as part of the um, the Apex Mosaics Summer School, which went with the Academic mm-hmm. Kaderhoff. Yes, I did. (laughs) uh, Would you say that you see the Arctic differently than a pure scientist who's only looking at sea ice as something which is changing due to better conditions and due to physics?
1: I think, uh, well, I think definitely my past (laughs) is influencing me, of course. Um, So having this photography background and also having the science background kind of joins in my head. And then uh, I see things uh, a certain way, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's better or worse or anything than um, scientists or artists, because it's just a very like personal uh, view on things. And also, I think a lot of scientists in the uh, polar regions, they're doing photography and a lot of them have like art side projects, uh, or that is kind of my impression from the expedition. Because it's so beautiful and so, and also so important to the people that they feel like they have to also have this other like, outlet to talk about it in a different kind of way, maybe a more emotional way, because science doesn't have a lot of space for your emotions and how you feel about things. So having this um, maybe more artistic point of view gives you uh, a possibility to speak about these other things. Also, like a podcast would be something like this as well, where you can just speak about your experiences and also your feelings that you have about the region. Yeah, I
0: think there was also
1: a podcast during uh, the
0: Mosaic campaign um, or Mm -hmm. several podcasts, actually, and a lot of outreach projects. And as far as I know, as part of the Mosaic summer school, you also were supposed to make an outreach project like, uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know, what, what... (laughs) <laughs> kind of different outreach projects that end up out of the school and uh, what's yeah. what, what, what are you doing
1: okay so uh yes one of um like uh, our jobs on the mosaic school was to be mosaic ambassadors so we were supposed to do a lot of outreach activities and go out and tell a broad public about the mosaic expedition but also the polar regions and climate change and what's happening there at the moment so a lot of people were doing um uh, outreach projects related to teaching so they were speaking to pupils they went to schools or had um, online presentations for example like this massive online um, online courses and uh, I think exploring from this seat of your pants or something like that which is really yeah. amazing where they just uh, invite people to speak about their experiences and then people can just watch online and ask questions which I think is really great. And then, of course, we also developed some uh, science experiments for kids, which is also very fun. <laughs> oh that's,
0: that's amazing! How did you do that? Did you just record how you do how you do science? Uh,
1: I think uh, one one of us actually did record how we uh, installed a. a surface ice mass balance buoy so like an instrument that goes um into the ice and measures temperature from the ocean through the ice to the atmosphere and she did a whole video on that and explained how we put it together and things like that so this for example but we also did experiments like melting ice cubes in water and salt water and like things you can easily do at home um which was really nice But uh, there were a lot of different projects. So, for example, uh, Sam, he was doing a podcast, actually, (laughs) which is really nice. Nice. Um, And there were so many. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What I did, because as you know by now, I am a photographer as well. Uh, I, of course, did a a photographic work. So, I took, like, basically millions of pictures from everything. But... um, (laughs) What I wanted to do was, so if you take a look at at how polar research is portrayed in the media, it's often very exciting and amazing. And you see polar bears and you see like all the action that is going on. Yep. And so I thought it would be really nice to create a book that also shows the more maybe um, mundane things so the routine of everyday life and all these quiet moments in between that you have when you are on a boat or an expedition for so long all these people working quietly in their corners or having lunch together and to show like this yeah daily routine that is also keeping you together if you are in such a remote place for so long and um This is what I kind of tried with my outreach project, which is a book. And I also want to do uh, an exhibition that hopefully um, (laughs) will be viewed in uh, different places. What I did (laughs) is a book. (laughs) It's really hard to talk about this (laughs) because (laughs) I want to show you pictures and not just talk about it. But uh, basically what I want to do is uh, I want to show the Arctic as an accessible space uh, where you can actually imagine yourself going there. So you don't have to be a badass, amazing superhero, (laughs) but you can actually be be just a regular person like me and go there and have this great time. And um, yeah, so that people actually... Yeah, can emphasize and identify with the people that are on these expeditions.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that some people will try to figure out if we can have a look at your book once it's published and to see how the daily life actually is. <laughs> and maybe we should mention that you spent your time on the academic Federov. So you started in Tromsø when I'm uh, right. And then there was first a long transit to the ice and on the backside again, a long transit back. So I think it's also important to mention that doing research or being on expedition is not just having cool experiments from <laughs> eight in the morning to eight in the evening <laughs> and then your data there's a lot more to consider and to prepare for and it's not always going in the right way and uh, also i i heard from the mosaic that there was not a lot of time which you were allowed to spend on the ice because there's so mm-hmm. much safety yes. um, especially also in the dark season mm. um, so it's not just the, like Jumping on your skidoo, driving around, taking some samples, and coming back to your lab. So I think it's very important to make people aware that there are also downsides or other important aspects of fieldwork and expeditions.
1: Definitely. I mean, uh, you you have been to Greenland, right? So you you know how it is. You 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 don't have just these exciting moments. I mean, we saw polar bears, and it was so great. I mean, I love polar bears. <laughs> I want to watch them all the time. <laughs> Don't get me wrong but um yeah you you just you also live there you know this place is also your home for this period so it's it's not just exciting all the time but um yeah you you also have your daily life and food <laughs> which yeah. is by the way great i mean people were so scared that the food on a russian uh, ship would be sparse or and all the same all the time but it was actually I was so so surprised I loved it actually
0: (laughs) it's also my experience that food on expeditions is always the best but it's also the most difficult task if the chef is not doing a good job then Mm -hmm. everybody is grumpy and uh,
1: yes (laughs) (laughs) it has to be good to keep the people happy because really I mean the food is kind of really what gives your day the structure so you get up you have your breakfast then you have lunch and then you have tea time of course (laughs) 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 you eat so much on expeditions i mean it's so cold so you have to take in a lot of energy and then of course dinner so yeah everything kind of revolves around it so we actually went back inside when in the time when we worked on the ice we actually got inside to have a lunch and also tea time so one time this polar bear guard he was just standing next to me and he was playing with his um walkie talkie thingy because he wanted to go inside and get his piece of cake <laughs> from the tea time and he was annoyed that we were still working <laughs> <So it's, laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> uh, you should never make the polar bear guards angry <laughs>
0: yeah. but i think it's also important to make breaks even though you could just say you can stay there forever um, the work you're doing there is so valuable and so expensive so it's better mm-hmm. to really make breaks and stay focused on the time you're at work and um, then relax and take your breaks
1: Yes, of course. I mean, it's super important that you stay focused because it's still, even though they made it as safe as possible, you have to concentrate and you have to be, and there you should not make. It. I mean, also maybe that's also interesting, as we were on the Academic Fedorov, we um, didn't build the central observatory uh, at Polarstern. Because we set up the distributed network, which was like several kilometers outside, like around Polarstern. You can imagine like Polarstern is the central, uh, the center of a large circle. And we were putting out autonomous instruments. So... This is really important because they have to work on their own. It's really difficult to get there and uh, repair them, let alone replace them. So the people really had to concentrate and focus on doing a very good job, which they did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so taking breaks so is had- really important, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you had also some instructors uh, helping you to set up the instruments and deciding where to put them and learning about the instruments, how they work and what they measure and
1: what yes. the science is for. Yes, of course. I mean, maybe a, a few more words on the mosaic school, <laughs> because as you mentioned, we had this long transit into the Arctic. So we had a lot of lectures um, on board about science and the instruments that we were going to set up. But we also had some hands on experience on board. So we put together the instruments, we kind of like trained how to set them up when it has to be fast on the ice. <laughs> And we also had this, uh, when we put together one of the buoys, we actually had a, a real problem to put it together. So it was good that we tried to do it on board because then we figured out <laughs> how to put it together. And <laughs> it's so funny because the fix of the problem was a piece of trash. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> It's really really funny because there was this cord inside the buoy and um you basically only had to put together two parts and you the one thing should slide into the other part and they were connected via this cord and the cord kind of um prevented the the part to slide in so we had to find a way to um um kind of get the the cord away from from the edge and then we kind of put a piece of trash around it and pulled, and then we could put it together. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, imagine that. A piece of trash is the solution to your problem on board of a icebreaker in the middle of the Arctic Ocean.
0: So, <laughs> oh, note, you should be creative.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was... I mean, it was a little bit stressful, but also very much fun to to kind of find a solution to this problem. And this is also what you learn or what, what we learn on this expedition is that you you try to prepare as good as possible, but everything will be different than what you expected. So,
0: <laughs> I think that's also a very important uh, point to mention to people who haven't been on expeditions or people who have been on expeditions in normal surroundings, that once you're in the Arctic, you cannot get replacement and you cannot say, I forgot this tool, I will go and get it or I will (laughs) come back tomorrow and then I can fix it.
1: Yes, Um, seriously, we were on the ice and we were missing screws. So, um, (laughs) and the the main scientist whose instrument we were uh, setting up, uh, he had I I think this box of uh, screws and everything, just replacements or possible replacements. And this kind of saved us because we could just uh, use it and fix the instrument. And if he hadn't prepared so well for this, yeah, that that would have kind of ruined everything because it was the the, um, kind of wind powering for the instrument. Mm. So otherwise it wouldn't have had any energy. (laughs) (laughs) now <laughs> yeah. uh, it's so valuable to have experienced
0: people yes. in the planning and on board on, on, on every expedition because you learn so much from them
1: yes it's super important also um, we were part of the search for the ice flow for Polarstern. you know the yeah. one where Polarstern was, um, uh, was um, moored to a big ice flow and first of all we had to find this ice flow which is uh, suitable for <laughs> drifting for a year and not break into pieces which yeah. i think it did in the end <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so we were part of this or well the academic fedorov uh, was a part of it and there were um, a lot of uh, russian uh, sea ice scientists and you could really tell they had so many years of experience and they were a lot of them were part of these russian uh, north pole drifting stations so they really know the arctic and know the ice flows and It was just so impressive and cool (laughs) watching them and hearing the discussions and just being part of this process. So I think we all learned very much during this expedition.
0: I think it's also really uh, important and nice to see that such a big expedition was not just there for the scientists, but also for training people and getting other people to experience it as well, who are not able to go to the Arctic.
1: Totally. We also had teachers on board, which I thought was such a great idea because uh, they could do all this, um, they could create all this material um, to get into classrooms and actually get young people interested in the polar regions. And um, I really thought that that was seriously an amazing idea to just bring these people who were just there to create content. Uh, Yeah.
0: I totally
1: Amazing. agree. <laughs> Super important as well.
0: Yeah.
1: What oh, do you oh, like- wait, 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 I have more I want to speak about from yeah. the Mosaic School. Because uh, there were not only teachers, uh, there were also journalists on board. So actually, I was speaking about that we had lectures, uh, science lectures, but we didn't just okay. have science lectures. We also had lectures from the teachers about how to speak to pupils and how to kind of break down the science uh, and things like that but we also had lectures from journalists which was really great because they were helping us um, to figure out how to communicate about our science how to actually connect to people we also had some uh, lectures about how to speak to like climate skeptics and things like that so that was really interesting and valuable and also I think really different than or different from other expeditions. So I think the Mosaic School did a really great job there as well because it was such a diverse, um, th- like diverse topics we learned things about. And I think communicating our research and getting people involved into polar science and therefore also better understand maybe climate change is really, really important. So I really yeah. liked that we had a focus on that as well, like with the outreach projects and the lectures and things like that.
0: Do you have a top three how to communicate science to people and students?
1: Well, uh, my number one, of course, is photography. (laughs) (laughs) What did you expect? (laughs) No, uh, of course, I think that um, images are very powerful. And I also think that what we see in the media every day um, is really shaping the image that we have of certain scientific topics or the people who do the science so I think it's really important to kind of acknowledge this and then um, of course get hopefully for example a very diverse picture of polar science out there so that people can identify and maybe see themselves there so one of the great successes of the mosaic expedition maybe was that there were really a lot of female scientists I think it was like 60 percent or something so there are also a lot Yes. So now there are also a lot of pictures of female scientists uh, in the Arctic out there, which I think is really great. Of course, there's still a lot of more work to do. There's still a lot of representations missing, but uh, it's a step into the right direction. And so I think images are really, really important. Then I, of course, I love uh, podcasts because it's a kind of like a other dimension and people can just speak freely about their experiences and their science and their emotions, like um, I tried to explain earlier. Um, and of course, teaching in schools or just um, having presentations and experiments at school and getting young people especially interested, I think that that is also so valuable and important. So I think it would be, Kind of giving talks, <laughs> having podcasts. Also, there are some podcasts that have these uh, soundscapes. Um, I think there is one at least. Yeah, I I have to check the name. Sorry, I don't know it right now. I will send it to you, uh, where you can actually listen to Arctic sounds. So it's kind of an an, an additional <laughs> sense that you can uh, that you can experience uh, from the Arctic while yeah. staying at home. So. <laughs> And of course, I think social media is really good for the polar sciences because everyone can communicate about their science. And yeah, so it's just a more diverse picture of who is doing what in the Arctic, which I think is important. I also
0: really like pictures and photos of the Arctic because I think it's so important to show people what is changing and how it's changing if they don't see it, if you just talk to them. They cannot, yeah, they cannot think about yes. it. They have to see it. And especially for, mm. as not everybody is able to go to the Arctic and we cannot take every person to the Arctic to show them what is changing. Sadly so, not. <laughs> having photography of the Arctic and of the ice masses which are changing is so important to just show people what is what is happening.
1: Yes, such a great point. It's really important because you connect the emotions to this or you you get the emotion Uh, with the pictures you get the emotion in to the people because they see it and they can kind of experience it in a different way in a more emotional way I think and um, connect to these places and as you said you can get the people there like easily get them there
0: (laughs) I'm looking forward to have a look at your homepage and uh, your photos (laughs) and your book once it's published
1: yeah I'm excited (laughs) (laughs)
0: we are coming to the end of uh, the polar times podcast and we call it the polar plug do you have anything you want to talk about and share with the world
1: well um, as i mentioned before i'm starting my phd at the german aerospace center uh, in summer this year and my topic will actually be about machine learning in earth system modeling and i was wondering if you are a polar scientist and you have a question or a problem that you think would be perfectly for uh, solving with machine learning, please contact me and maybe we can uh, have a discussion about it and connect. I'm happy to talk about everything machine learning and polar regions related. I guess
0: you have the best audience listening right now to bring you problems from the polar birds.
1: <laughs> I hope so. Bring me all your problems. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you maybe have a short example?
1: Um, well, I mean one of the easy to understand question that uh, might maybe be solvable with machine learning would be understanding teleconnections better. So uh, like, for example, Arctic mid-latitude linkages. I mean, this is a a gigantic topic, which is very difficult. And I at least know 10 people working on this. (laughs) So I think if you have like specific questions that are related to this, where machine learning might be able to help, that would be great. That brings us to the end of another episode of
0: Polar Times. Thank you for coming back and listening to the podcast. If you want to get in contact with us, suggest a guest, or if you have a question, you can email us at thesearepolartimes at gmail.com, or you can tweet apex at polar underscore research. So thank you again, Tia, for coming to Polar Times. It was super interesting to chat with you about Mosaic and your photography and all of your inspiring stories.
1: Thanks.: Thank you for having me.
0: Please note that whilst this is an Apex production, the views and opinions expressed by the host and any guests are entirely their own. Do not represent the views or opinions of Apex or any other host institution mentioned.